What's going on, ladies and gents? Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and today I've got special guest Meg Dahl on the podcast, and we dive into many things beyond nutrition. Actually, we don't even talk that much about nutrition. We talk about the mindset of having a healthy relationship with food and all that that entails. So she has struggled with uh, some extreme eating disorders from a very young age at 10 years old up until you know her ability to be able to have a positive relationship with food now and kind of all the the, the struggles in between. And I have struggled with eating disorders as well. So it's pretty cool for us both to just talk about what that looked like and how that manifested for both of us and how we overcame that. So if you're struggling with that, or if, if you know somebody that is, I highly encourage you to listen to this podcast, share it with somebody that needs it, because I feel like this is not talked about nearly enough. And it was awesome to sit here and talk about it uh, to Magdal. So I hope you enjoy. And we're live. Magdal, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful, wonderful. So so give me a little backstory on you and, and what brings you here on the podcast, what information you've got to offer, and kind of where you've carved out a niche for yourself. For sure. So my story really goes way back. I think the turning point in my life was when I was 10 years old and I developed an eating disorder. I was diagnosed with anorexia at age 10. And from that point, because of that turning point, I was really equipped at a very young age with so many tools that really benefited my mental and emotional health. And I think that's really like unique for someone that was so young. And I thankfully carried those tools with me throughout my life. And I've always been a very open book about my journey and my story and what I went through. And when I was going through an eating disorder at 10 years old, I would often ask my parents at the time, like, why am I going through this? And I would kind of question my journey. And my parents would always encourage me that I was going through what I was going through because I was going to help someone, at least someone someday. And so I really took um, what they said with me with pride and I believed it. I, I really did want to help someone else someday. So I made sure that I was always very open about my journey. And I remember going through elementary school and there was another girl who was also going through an eating disorder. And we both handled things very differently. When someone asked me about my eating disorder, I was very open about it. And I wasn't ashamed. And I think when it comes to mental illness, especially back then, like that was in... 2000 and yeah 2000 when 2001 when I had my first eating disorder and eating disorders mental illness they weren't really things that were talked about back then definitely now things have changed times have changed and I think a lot of people are more open about talking about mental illness and things like that but when I was 10 years old, it wasn't really something that many people talked about. So I thought I could kind of be the change 
in the way that things were going and I would be open about my eating disorder. And I'm not saying that there's a right or wrong here, but this is just kind of how I chose to go about my journey and move through my situation. And I'm really happy I did because it allowed me to start a lot of conversations that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And then I relapsed when I was 15, when I experienced a death in my family. I was diagnosed with anorexia once again, and I started seeing a dietitian at this time. And she helped me so much throughout my journey that she really inspired me to go on and study nutrition or dietetics at university. So I moved away far away from home when I was recovered and was given like the green light by the doctors that I was well enough to move away. Mm -hmm. So I moved away and I started studying dietetics and I went through the whole program. But come my fourth year, I still graduated with my Bachelor of Science in dietetics, but I decided not to complete my internship to become a registered dietitian. I just had like this craving to learn more. I knew that I wasn't ready to enter the hospital space or that internship. I just really wanted to continue my studies. So I began studying at the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition and graduated as a holistic nutritionist. And that's what really allowed me to dive into this space and how you and I connected is because of that journey that all began when I was 10 years old and just my drive to understand food in a different way and that's really why i began studying holistic nutrition was because when i graduated from dietetics i felt like there was something missing i knew like the macros right i knew protein carbs fats i knew how to calculate calories all of those things and I just felt like there was something missing. And I really wanted to continue to work on my relationship with food and how I just interacted with food and chose to nourish my body. So that's why I dove into that holistic space. And that's really where I started to learn about different ways of nourishing our body and how they can all be really beneficial for us at different stages in our lives. So like paleo, keto, and all of these different types of eating can really be beneficial for us at different stages, just like how I have experienced within my own life. So I want to I wanna back up just a little bit. I mean, most people, I mean, 10 years old is, is pretty young to be experiencing eating disorders. Like, what do you think like led to that like if you were to miss I don't know if I remember anything when I was 10 years old but if you had to like go back in the memory banks and try to figure out why that was the path that you took uh, or that was a path that just happened and occurred for you what do you think were some of the driving factors yeah so I do think that it 
kind of like a combination of factors, but there's definitely usually when it comes to eating disorders or mental illness that there's like a trigger that kind of sets everything off, right? So there were certain factors that were building up at the time. I was being teased at school. I I really don't think I was with a great group of kids in elementary school. It wasn't awesome. And I was also just really self-conscious with who I am and or who I was back then and eating a certain diet that caused a lot of gut issues for me. So later down the line, a few years ago, I found out that I really do have severe issues with gluten. Back then, I could eat pasta three times a day and that was like my diet of choice. And then what really set things off was I did experience a death in my family and it was the first family member to pass away that was really close to me. And at that age, I didn't handle things in the way that um, some other people handle them. And it was my coping strategy to control things without even realizing it right and that led to an eating disorder and the reason why I bring up the gluten thing is because I was all also having gut issues at the time and it wasn't until I removed gluten when I was in my 20s so more than 10 years later is when things really started to change for me and I was able to really move past the stuff that I was dealing with mentally. What do you think, like, I'm, I'm, I'm keen to, to figure out, because I've had eating disorders in the past, I've had several people on the podcast that have, uh, you know, suffered from eating disorders. I, I want to, like, I don't even know if there's any way to figure this out, but I'm, I'm curious to know why people... Uh, you know, turn to food as a coping mechanism because you 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 said you use it to like feel like you're in control of something, and that was honestly mm-hmm. the same reason that I would turn to food. I felt like of all the things in my life that I can manipulate and 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 you know use that seemed like the most readily available. But I'm curious as to why you think food is often the outlet people take. Hmm. I feel like it's one of those things that we feel like we can control when so many other aspects of our life are out of control. So I was also at that age where all of my friends' bodies were changing. I wasn't entering that stage of my life just yet, but I was noticing all of these bodies changing around me. And I clearly had developed these beliefs. And that's something I love talking about as well is these beliefs that we form about ourselves throughout our lives. And that really influence the decisions we make. And I really do think that it had a profound influence on me developing an eating disorder and also like the relapses and carrying it for years throughout my life are these beliefs that I had about my body. So when I was growing up, I was always the smaller, like the smallest one out of the bunch, right? Mm -hmm. Always like the small end of the scale. And then when you're getting close to your teenage years, your body starts changing. And I was holding on to this belief 
And I didn't know that I was holding on to this belief just up until this past year, until like when I brought awareness to it and did all that inner work that's so important. But I was holding on to this belief that I was a small person and like smaller was better. And I was loved because I was small, like it was my identity. So when things started to change in my life, I wanted to take control of that. And that kind of hopefully answers your question um, of us, like, why do we turn to food? And I really do believe that when all of these other things within our lives are moving and shifting and changing, we as humans, we don't like change. We know that. And food is something in our everyday life. We all eat food. We all need food. And it just seems to be one of those things that we can easily control in some way. That's a, that's an interesting point. I was talking with somebody about this uh, earlier this week, actually. But, you know, like an, like an alcoholic, for instance, you know, they're addicted to alcohol, but you don't need alcohol. Whereas with food, you can be addicted to food, but it's not like you can just stop eating and, like, quit cold turkey. Like, if an alcoholic wanted to quit cold turkey to avoid it entirely, they could. But with food, it's like you can't do that or else you'll die. So it's it's kind of like a catch-22. And, and having this balance between knowing what is enough and what is healthy versus what you're you psychologically think you need but you're starting to recognize as a as a craving or as a, an eating disorder that's like a really hard you know hard line hard tightrope to walk oh yeah definitely and i mean i haven't had to go through recovery for something like alcohol or drugs or anything like that so i can't speak to those but just like you said if you're recovering from an eating disorder that's really hard because you can't just avoid it you have to create this normal or healthy relationship you have to relearn how to be in a relationship with food and I do believe that that's why it takes women and men who are experiencing eating disorders usually such a long time i feel like so many of us we go through like we're experiencing the eating disorder and then we are trying to recover but we kind of move more into a health obsessed state then we like move into orthorexia which happened to me so i went from totally avoiding food to being obsessed with making sure that I ate enough and super healthy because I wanted to take the best care of my body. And then that was another disordered relationship with food in and of itself. And then now I'm in this space where I finally have overcome those hurdles and those beliefs and work through them and I'm in like this kind of like that gray area you know Mm -hmm. where I feel like that's like where you want to be this gray area where you're not super obsessed and but you're still like taking care of yourself and it just feels really it feels right for me and I'm really thankful to be here. 
that's that's great. I feel like that should be the goal of anybody, like having a positive relationship with the food you eat and knowing that it's you know contributing to your overall health and wellness in a sustainable fashion you know for years to mm-hmm. come but very few people talk about orthorexia and you know like overly healthy if, if if you want to call it that but could you kind of flesh that out a little bit and talk about what are some of the the cons and the negative connotations that come with that side of things like what did that manifest itself for in you Yeah, for sure. And I think this one was a tricky one to kind of like identify in my life and also so many lives of like the people that I'm in contact with as well. It's not until we start talking about this type of eating disorder where people are starting to open their eyes and be like, oh, wow, I... I didn't realize that I was dealing with that. But yeah, yeah, that's me. So for me, when I had anorexia, I mean, it was really, really obvious. I was avoiding food. I went days without eating. I lost a lot of weight. I was very fearful of gaining weight, putting on any weight whatsoever. So it was just classic anorexia. And then I overcame that. So it was kind of like everyone was thinking, oh, Meg's all better. And I did too. I thought I was rocking at life. I thought I was fully recovered and everything was awesome. Until I got to this point where I was realizing that I couldn't be talking to someone without thinking about food. Like I would be at the mall with my friends. We would go out for tea or coffee. And the whole time that we were walking around shopping, just like girls do, the whole time, all I could think about was, okay, when is it three o'clock so I can sit down and have my snack? Like I was very, very rigid with the timing of my meals and so that would be something that I would encourage people to take like an honest look at in their lives like are you really really rigid about the times that you eat do you get anxious that was another thing I would be I was like living away for university. And then whenever I'd come home, my parents would have dinner and our dinners tended to be like quite late in the evening, not at my really structured and rigid six o'clock PM. Right. And I would get major anxiety when I didn't eat right at those times. So that's something for people to look at. And also the types of food that you're eating, I can't even tell you the amount of times where I was at a restaurant and if I ordered something with no sauce on it and then the sauce came, I would just freak out because I didn't want the sauce. I didn't know what was in the sauce. So I kind of like justified it in my head because I was still eating. And for so many years in my life, I wasn't eating. Mm -hmm. So to me, I was like, oh, no, I'm so obsessed with hitting certain number of calories every day. And I made sure it was like the right number to fuel my workouts and all those things. But 
I had to eat certain foods in certain amounts at certain times. And now like just me sharing this with you, it's like just to kind of give you an idea when you're out of that orthorexia, those behaviors, you know, you go to a restaurant now, if you don't want a sauce on something for whatever reason, but the sauce still comes on it, like I still eat it because that it's life and who cares? It's probably better with sauce anyways. So that, I hope that kind of um, answers some of your, what you were wanting to know about orthorexia. What, what do you do? Like for, for me, I had like a very, I mean, it didn't happen linearly. I had to, anytime anybody diets to, especially when a psychological uh, factors involved, there's never like a linear path. I feel like you're always going through ups and downs and trying to figure out what works and doesn't work. So for you, what what steps did you take and what seemed to really, you know, appeal to you as a, as a way to beat this and, and, and have a positive relationship with food again? Mm-hmm. And it definitely takes a long time. And I think it looks like this journey of recovery looks different for everyone. But we can't forget that it's a mental illness. So you have to do a lot of the psychological and mental work, right? It's not just like, oh, I'm going to wake up tomorrow and suddenly be like friends with food and have a really great relationship with food. You have to do that mental and emotional work, which is what I dedicate so much of my time to when I help clients. And for a lot of us who deal with eating disorders, it comes down to our mindset, like our relationship with our thoughts. So really being aware, bringing that consciousness into our minds and our daily actions. So instead of letting this nattering voice in my head totally take over, I still have that nattering voice. I think we all do. And you can share with me um, your experience, but we all have that little voice, right? It's like that little voice telling us that, oh, this is too hard, or I'm not good at this, or, oh, you shouldn't eat that because X, Y, Z. We all have little voices in our heads. They all are saying different things depending what we're going through. And what I really love to talk about is the fact that we actually don't need to believe what we hear in our minds. And empowering people to disassociate themselves with that voice. So we can hear that voice, but then we can acknowledge it for what it is. And all it is, is a thought. So we can remove ourselves from that thought and just see it as a thought, kind of thank it for coming over, thank it for reminding us of whatever it's reminding us of. And then we have that choice. And this is like the most empowering piece of it all is we have that choice of whether or not we want to believe that thought or not. And I'm going to assume that most of the time, all of us don't really want to believe those negative thoughts we have about ourselves or those negative beliefs. 
So we actually have this awesome ability to see that thought, make that decision that, hey, I'm actually not going to believe this thought today. And then start reprogramming how we do talk to ourselves. I like that. I like that a lot. That's it's it's interesting because it's been a while since I've had my eating disorders, but I try and reflect back on what that was like and the the constant battle you have with your internal thoughts is is hard to explain. And like you said, it's different for everybody. Is there any any specific um like protocols for eating that you found to help aid you in in recognizing what is and is not true? Well, I think we all need to develop a healthy relationship with food. So with anyone that is experiencing an eating disorder, disordered eating, because there is a difference and, or like any type of unhealthy relationship with food. I think if anyone's listening to this episode and nodding along or thinking like, yeah, okay, like I definitely feel like that, then they need to work on their relationship with food. And in order to do that, you don't need more rules. You actually just need to allow yourself the space to truly tune into yourself and your intuition and what your body actually really wants and needs. And like really eating disorders and um, following that mental illness, like letting that mental illness really guide you that's just betraying your inner wisdom. So in order to overcome that mental illness or the disordered eating, we need to start tuning back into that inner wisdom. And so I really like doing that by just really, um, I love this visualization and it's helped a lot of people. Um, Most often when we're struggling with eating disorders, we feel kind of like trapped and very boxy and rigid. I know that's how I felt at least. I felt like I was very confined, right? And in order for me to recover, I really had to visualize those walls lifting and all of a sudden there not being any rules or restrictions or structure whatsoever and I just had to give myself time and space and the permission really to eat what I wanted and when I wanted it and allow myself that process like to actually understand what that actually is um not to jump to like another way of eating you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i think one of the the main contributing factors for anybody having an eating disorder is just the the feeling of being deprived or sacrificing something like as soon as i mean this is illustrated perfectly in like a little kid like you tell your kid you can't do something that's what they're going to want to do and if Mm -hmm. if you build a box around this yourself and you know hold yourself to a very strict guideline of rules with no obvious reason almost it's it's 
that's almost guaranteed to make you want to break those rules. Yeah, it's like that little rebel in all of us, right? <laughs> yeah, totally. What about like a sense of community? I feel like for me at least, having momentum and a sense of community with like-minded people when it comes to a, a lifestyle around nutrition, that was one of the main factors that helped me get over my eating disorder because I was able to you know, have an accountability factor in other people, but then when people started to look up to me, that was... Like, I didn't want to let them down, basically. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Like, community, just, like, a support team for sure. And that can look so different as well. Um, it can be, like, how you described it. Or in my life, I had a whole support team of, like, health professionals. But I was able to kind of pick and choose which ones were actually doing it for me because throughout any healing journey that you go through, you're definitely going to have some health professionals within your life that you don't jive with. And that's okay. I'm all about making sure other people know that they have the say of like who they're working with and making sure that, you know, if you're seeing a therapist, like, yeah, go try it out a few times. Like the first time is probably going to be a little awkward unless you totally hit it off the first time, but you're not going to jive with every single practitioner that you work with and that's okay. But I think for recovery and just overall health, like reaching that place of health that we talked about earlier, you need this support and you need that sense of community for sure. It's it's definitely an individual journey in the sense that, you know, you have to come to to this relationship, you know, on your own. You need to be around people and have a sense of community and support, but you have to make that decision internally. But mm-hmm. what what do you think um, it is going to be a very unique journey for everyone, but is there like some basic principles or common mistakes and pitfalls that you see a lot of people falling into nowadays? Like a, like an 80-20 analysis almost if somebody's struggling with this, like where's a good place to start or direction to, to head? Um, if someone's struggling with an eating disorder, kind of like what is a really good place for them to start? Yeah, yeah, like like an actionable step. Mm-hmm. So I think so many of us who do struggle with eating disorders, and I'd be curious to hear your experience with this, but we usually suffer alone, right? And I forget the exact quote or the wording of this, but it was something along the lines of like disorders grow in the dark. And I couldn't agree more with that. Like eating disorders grow in the dark. And that's exactly what I experienced in my life. Like when no one knew what I was going through when I was 10 years old, high school, in my early 20s, like when I kept all of that stuff in, the issue that I was experiencing just grew and it just grew and grew and grew up until a point where I was like, wow, I'm dealing with a really huge, 
problem right now, right? So I think the very first step anyone could take if they're listening to this episode and they see themselves in this conversation or they know someone that's going through this, honestly, it's when we shine that light onto our issues, they can start, they like are real, number one, they start getting real. And we actually know what we're dealing with then, because when we're not sharing what we're dealing with with people, I don't think we really know what we're fully dealing with, like personally. So it wasn't until I shared my struggles with my parents, um, when I was going through all of those different stages of my eating disorder, it wasn't until I shared with my parents that I actually started to change my life. And there was like that turning point. Yeah. I think sharing it is, is key for sure. I feel like, I feel like both men and women struggle with that because I think a lot of people view it as a weakness. Like anything that is not talked about is considered a weakness almost like people brag and and talk freely about things they're proud of and things that they feel or see as a weakness they they hide they 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 don't share publicly but when you like for me mindset and stoicism really helped with all this because it's like this is a fact this is a reality this is something that i've struggled with and i'm not struggling with it any longer but i've been able to like leverage it and use it for good but like anything that you're going through can be leveraged for good like your parents told you when you were 10 years old you know you can help someone's life with this but that that potential upside from what at onset looks like a negative is no is not an upside if it's within you and never gets shared because then it can never make a positive impact on somebody else's life so that is is key and then being open about it and allowing yourself to be vulnerable in a sense it's going to open the door to healing that i mean for me i i don't know why i was compelled to just share all this but i was when i started talking and making youtube videos way back in the day and i started sharing this and people i wasn't asking for help or anything i just wanted to be brutally honest with my audience because mm-hmm. i felt like i owed it to them for them to know exactly who I was. Like, I don't want to live a life where I have to wear a mask. Like, I want people to know who I am, you know, with absolute certainty. And I feel like that was a part of my life. It affected a lot of who I was at that time and am today. So I feel like I owed it to my audience to to share that. And afterwards, you know, I got a ton of support. And having seen the impact that that makes, like, there's just so much to be gained as a human with your fellow man and woman just to be honest and upfront because there's so little clarity and so little connection these days. So anytime you have an opportunity to just be blatantly honest and transparent is an opportunity for healing and for anybody to benefit. Yeah. And I'm so happy that you opened up about your past and I don't know about you, but don't you feel like the conversation is shifting with lately like it seems like more people are open about talking about mental stuff emotional stuff and I feel like we are getting 
like deeper into those conversations and I am loving it. It makes me so happy that we can talk about this and people are like even receiving it better. I know for me, I've been talking about this stuff for years and for a while I did, I felt like I was the only one really, of course I wasn't the only one, but it felt like not too many of us were really sharing like the dark parts of what we've gone through. And now I definitely see more and more people sharing their stories and um, mental illness and struggling with eating disorders and things like that. Like we're opening up about it more. And I think because we're doing that, we can help ourselves more and also help more people too. I agree. I feel like we're living in an interesting era right now because at 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 first glance it looks like there's just much less opportunity for connection you have like social media the internet that allows you to connect with anybody at any time all over the world so you have that broader stroke for instance but there's much less of a deep connection unless you you know seek it out with intention and you can seek it out with intention but it's you have to like put forth the effort to do so and i feel like people are missing the intimate connection you get like back in the day like there was there was no social media like you'd have to go see somebody or call them up and actually have like a conversation like when was the last time anybody called somebody on the phone they just send them a text nowadays so like people are craving that because it's human nature to have that sense of connection and they're looking for it in different ways and one way is to just be completely transparent with people like I like that I like that I have nothing to hide I mean I like that my entire identity is built on truth like my truth and because of that I can be more authentic in my day-to-day because there's nothing to run from and I feel like the more people that live life on that spectrum in those terms they're going to be able to impact more people in a positive way because they can give all of themselves to people For sure. And when someone like starts sharing their story, they might not realize that sharing their story, like you don't have to share your story with the intent of helping someone, right? You can literally just do it for yourself. But I can guarantee that any single person that shares their story, even if they feel like no one's listening, someone is going to be positively impacted. Yeah, I agree. Totally. So what, I mean, you've kind of, uh, like you have a very unique background and you're, you're helping people in a way that is not uh, common since that you are talking about these things when a lot of people aren't. So I'm curious as to what your projected path is. Like how are you moving forward with the information in your past, your history, how you're helping people, like, what direction do you see yourself taking this? Oh, I love this question, especially, like, given the time of year and moving into 2020. Isn't that so crazy? So I've been doing a lot of just personal inventory and reflection on this past year and thinking about my plans and kind of planning out, mapping it out my next year. 
And I talk about this a lot, actually, is so I am a holistic nutritionist, as I mentioned before, and a large focus of what I did in the past was on food. I used to have a podcast and it was called The Nourished Podcast. So you can only imagine that we basically always talked about food and like all these different ways of eating and fueling your body and things like that. It was very food focused. And now I kind of see myself over the past few years as this nutritionist who hardly talks about food, but talks about the things a lot of other people aren't talking about. And that is really getting to the root of why we're experiencing the things that we are experiencing. And most often, that is because we're holding on to these beliefs that we didn't realize we're holding on to. So I've been studying spiritual coaching, and I was certified um, earlier or last February, actually, and um I've been doing a lot of that work and so to answer your question that's that's a way that I have been slowly um but authentically moving my business over the past couple of years is really getting people to start taking ownership of their mental and emotional health and going beyond food. So I love food. I really do. I think it's so important to nourish your body because that is our responsibility. We have these incredible bodies and it is our responsibility to nourish them and take care of them. And there are certain foods that really do nourish us and allow us to thrive. So I love fueling my body and like sharing recipes and things like that. But if you were to join me over on Instagram, for an example, or hop over on my podcast, which you should definitely join me over on my podcast. I'll definitely have you as a guest over there. I yeah, love that. Um, but if you are with me on my social media platforms, you'll notice that I don't talk a lot about food. I talk about mindset and becoming like emotionally intelligent and resilient. And that stuff is my jam. And that's really where I see myself headed in the future that's exciting because there's, there's i mean it all comes back to mindset i feel like anybody would agree with that but mm-hmm. g- making a, a business and a brand and a lifestyle around mindset coaching is is, is pretty hard it's such an abstract topic to really dial in on but yet it's like the most important topic to dial in on so that's that's awesome kudos to you for tackling it I, i'm excited to see how the journey unfolds well, thank you. I'm excited. So, so what are the 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 website and the social platform like? What where do people type in to to find more about you? Yeah, for sure. So, I'm active over on Instagram. You can find me there every day. I am Meg Doll is my handle on Instagram, 
And then I will be rolling out a brand new website in 2020. That is megdoll.com, M-E-G-D-O-L-L. And then my podcast is the Unbreakable You Podcast. I like it. It's a good name. I like that a lot. <laughs> Thanks. Well, Meg, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, anything that I can ever do for you, certainly don't hesitate to reach out and let me know. But like I said, I'm excited to watch the journey unfold. So keep keep making waves and keep having a positive impact on the things in life that truly do matter and, and force people to look inwardly and, and dive deep into their actual thought process towards these. Because that's no healing can be done if that first requirement hasn't been met. Uh, I'm so grateful that you totally get it and you will come on my podcast too. Well, it will be an honor. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Until then, I'll talk to you later. Thank you.